Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. It's kind of kind of sparse out there today, uh, but this is a great opportunity uh, when we move to our discussion time. Uh, this is a great opportunity to maybe uh, spend a little bit of time with some new people today. So if the people that are usually sitting near you aren't near you today, then uh, you can feel free to move to a table and have some discussions with, with uh, some new people. That's good. Uh, some of you probably don't know, I have an older brother who spent a lot, a lot of years living in Lebanon, a uh, better part of two decades living in Lebanon, working as a missionary, um, and the whole family was over there a number of years ago visiting him, and while we were over there, we thought we would do some sightseeing. And one of the places that he wanted to take us to was these caves known as, they're called the Jeta Caves. And we rode this cable car up this canyon, and then we got off, and we walked through these caves. And if you're, if you're from the Pacific Northwest, uh, your experience with caves is probably the ape caves, right? Anyone been to the ape caves? You know, so it's cold really cold all year round. It's dark. Um, and so I, I know that when we were going there, I was, I was kind of anticipating a similar cave experience. But the Jeta Caves weren't, weren't like that at all. Uh, there were these incredibly beautiful caves. I don't know how, I don't recall what the exact temperature was, but I recall it being uh, fairly comfortable, maybe even a little bit warm in there. Um, and... And so right away, it was like, oh, this is not, you know, some uh, desolate lava tube. Like, these were beautiful with the stalactites and stalagmites everywhere, crystal clear ponds of water, really nice cement paths with steps and and these causeways so that, you you know, you wouldn't be stumbling around in the dark, uh, making sure that you have a a good footing and you can, your eyes can be up admiring the beauty around you so that you don't, you know, end up impaled by a stalagmite. Um, So, I mean, we could point out the ape caves are free, so you can go visit the ape caves for free, and they charged a hefty fee to get inside of these caves. Um, But the best part, the nicest feature, the, the thing you're really paying for is all throughout the caves, it's lit up with lights. And so you're not, you know, you're not stumbling around with a, a dim and dying flashlight. I was reflecting this week about how much cell phones have changed our lives because um, along with all the other things, you now always have a flashlight handy. I mean, maybe some of you were carrying around a mag light in your back pocket in decades prior to the 2010s, but, um, but <laughs> this is life-changing, right? And I mean, I use that flashlight like three or four times a week. I'm pulling that thing out to, you know, find something or it's crazy. I was like, oh man, that's flashlights changed our lives. And we also have, another thing that's changed is we have like drawers full of unused flashlights at our house because you still end up acquiring flashlights. You just don't use them anymore because your phone has it. Anyhow, the lights in the, in the Jeta Caves made all the difference. Um, 
I remember going to the ape caves for the first time. You know, they're out past Woodland, and, and this is when I was a child, maybe seven or eight years old, and at some point, as we're going through uh, the caves, freezing our fingers off, um, we, you know, one of, one of the parents suggested it would be a good idea to all huddle together and then turn off all the lights, and we'll be there in complete darkness together. Um, and so we did, and I just remember, you know, this blackness in that kind of an environment deep in a cave, it just sort of swallows you up, and um, it, yeah, it was, it was inc- an incredible, you know, I, an impactful experience. I remember uh, we sat there in darkness for a moment, and then my dad said in a booming voice, let there be light, and turned on his flashlight, and we were all, we were all in the light again. Light makes such a difference, it, and I don't, Light is what allows us to navigate the world around us. Light gives meaning to the world around us. Um, You know, we can't see anything. We're really in a a pickle. Uh, Some scientists believe that 80% of our interpretation of the world comes from what we see. It comes from what we see. And and a lot of what we're seeing and processing and, and interpreting in the world around us is actually happening even in a subconscious level where people settle differences in their facial expressions or uh, things that are happening in the periphery of your vision are impacting how you're interpreting the world around us. Quick movements and you suddenly feel threatened. Quick movements in your peripheral vision. You're like, oh no. Uh, a third of our brain is dedicated to processing sight. And so imagine, I, I wanted to have pictures of the Zeta Caves for you. Um, I also thought it would be really cool if we were scrolling through our new children's page on the screen when... Um, when I was doing the announcement about it, wouldn't that have been cool? Um, we really, we really could use some help on the tech side of things. And Tyler Salvat, give us a wave there, Tyler. Tyler is, Tyler has been tasked with getting us some help in all of that. So if you're here at the church and you're like, man, these guys need some help, maybe you are the person who could talk to Tyler about. Because uh, what we really need to pull off those kinds of things is somebody on Sunday being at the computer upstairs. Um, the benefit of that is it's always warmer upstairs. So, you know, this time of year, not a bad time to be stuck at the computer upstairs. Um, typically, there's not a lot of people on the balcony, too. So if you don't really like people, maybe maybe that's the place for you to fit in. Uh, but anyhow, check in with Tyler if you're willing to be helpful with things like that. Uh, of course, I didn't, planning ahead would be helpful too. I didn't think about how great it would be to scroll the children's page until, you know, about 9.15. So it would be great if there was someone that like I could be calling on Sunday morning and like, I have a great idea and I need you to make it happen for me. Um, so check in with Tyler if you feel like you're, you're that person. You probably need, a, you know, some familiarity with technology and ability to troubleshoot a little bit. Um, other than that. Uh, so imagine these different experiences. I know you've never been to the Zeta Caves, and I don't have any pictures for you because when you're charging that much money to let people into a cave, they don't let you take pictures. Um, but uh, it was beautiful. It was, it was wonderful. It was, it was marvelous. And, and then contrast that with maybe an experience you've had in, in the Ape Caves, stumbling around, hitting your head on something, and, and uh, wondering if you're ever going to make it out alive. Um, that's the difference that light makes. Business is booming at the Jeta Caves because they have beautiful lights and nice amenities and all that. Um, All that to say, I don't think it's any mistake 
that one of the main metaphors used for our God in Scripture is light. This guy, King David, who ruled over Israel at probably the pinnacle of their civilization um, in the Old Testament, he, he, he begins his 27th Psalm with this metaphor. David was a king. He was a shepherd boy who became king. He was also a musician. He wrote a lot of the Psalms in the Scriptures. Um, and he begins his 27th Psalm this way. In verse 1, he writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If life can be like a dark and dangerous cave sometimes, what is that light that illuminates the reality for someone like David? He says, the Lord is my light. He is my salvation. And my light and my salvation changes this dark and hostile cave where I'm stumbling around, I can't see anything, into a, a beautifully lit marvel of creation. The shepherd declares, of whom shall I be afraid? I won't be afraid of anything because the Lord is my light. He continues, he says, when the wicked are advancing against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. And though war break out against me, even then, I will be confident. This is interesting because, I mean, unless you've served in the, in the military in a wartime, uh, it's probably when, when David's talking about those things, like we're thinking like that means when my sink is stopped up or when my roof leaks or when, I don't know, I get my check at the end of dinner and I can't believe how much it costs to eat out these days. God comes to my rescue in that moment. This is different for David. He'd been in war. He'd seen these things. He knows what it's like to be surrounded by enemies who want to devour him. Cannibals, apparently. He knows what it's like to have war breaking out against him. He says, when these things happen, I will not fear. Even in the midst of those things, I will be confident. Why? Because the Lord is my light. For David, God is where he turns for light. He's where he turns for meaning and for protection. And this light of God's presence in his life brings assurance. It brings a feeling of safety, right? I just, I feel safe right now. I'm not afraid. In fact, it's the opposite of being afraid. I am confident. Despite what I see happening, war breaking out, army besieging me, but, you know, I am confident with the light of God in my life. Everything is different. Maybe you had these experiences in your childhood. I can remember uh, being asleep at night and waking up and seeing a shadow or, uh, you know, something that, that seemed disturbing in the dark of my room as a child. And, and, and thinking to myself, okay, I know that monsters aren't real, or I know, you know, I know there's nothing to be afraid of here, but the quickest way to, to settle down was to turn on a light, right? And, and we, I had this, this reading lamp clipped to my headboard, and so, you know, click that light on, and, and the shadows, you know, you see, oh, it was just a, I don't know, a stuffed animal, or it was just a basketball, or it's just the closet door. Um, light 
changes everything. Everything looks different with light. So David's called in Scripture a man after God's own heart, and, and he certainly seemed to have insight into God's heart that gave him this incredible confidence. He's so confident and secure in his relationship with God, and he feels certain of God's future behavior. Even in those moments when it feels like, when it looks like, I am surrounded. I'm confident that God is going to deliver me. Some people would say that this is what it means to know someone, to be confident of their future behavior. To be able to accurately anticipate how someone might behave in in a hypothetical future situation. This is where we would, if you felt like you could predict what I would do in any given situation, to some degree you would feel that you know me, that you know who I am and how I would behave. And this is how David seems to feel about his relationship with his God. Yes, this God is the creator of the universe, and there's something infinite about who he is and and how he operates in the universe. And yet at the same time, David sees this God as someone who is familiar, someone who David can predict is going to be on my side and is going to have my back no matter what. David knew this God. Why this closeness there? Do you ever wonder that? Like, why does David feel this way about God? And, you know, there's plenty of people in Scripture and plenty of people in this world and even maybe seasons in our own lives where we're like, I'm not so sure that God has my back today. I see the, the army. I see the people coming to devour me. And I, I feel like this might be it. This is the undoing of myself. Why does David have so much closeness? You know, why do certain friendships click in our lives and others seem to never get off the ground or to falter? I really think it has something to do with the desire that we have to be with people, to be together. Now, assuming that God, who claims to be no respecter of persons, assuming that God doesn't have a bias in his own heart when he looks at these children that he has created, assuming that God loves and desires relationship with each of his people equally, then I think it's safe to be able to ascribe any distance that might occur in someone's relationship with God. We can ascribe that to the desire that they might have to foster and to, to pursue and to, to be in relationship with God. And I think in many ways, this is one of the things that was so unique about David. Look at what he writes next in verse 4. He says, One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. You ever play that game where, hey, if you could have three wishes, what would you, what are the three things you would wish for? And you can't wish for more wishes. Everyone knows that's cheating. Well, forget three wishes. What if you just had one wish? What would it be? And here David says, one thing, if I could just have one thing, this is what I wish for. I wish I could dwell in the house of the Lord. And when we say that phrase today, the house of the Lord, I don't know, maybe some of you feel like 
that's the Roxy Theater. Or maybe some of you feel like that's a, I don't know, a temple somewhere that's more holy than this place. For David, it's, it's a literal place. Again, in his mind, he has a place set up. In his mind, he says, the house of the Lord, and he is thinking of a specific physical structure. Most likely, it was a tent that he had had set up in the city of Jerusalem. And this tent was set up so that he had a place to put the Ark of the Covenant, this religious relic that had been around in Israel since you know the days of Moses' leadership, and it was believed to house the presence of God. And David had, uh, the Ark had been uh, taken away from the Israelites in previous years, and then uh, the Philistines had it for a while. They decided they wanted to return it because bad things were happening. They were cursed because of holding on to this thing that wasn't theirs. And, um, and it, was, it was sitting in you know, uh, this community for a while. And, and then, but David has this conviction that he wants to, to bring it to his city. He wants to bring it back to Jerusalem, or wants to bring it to Jerusalem and set up a, a tabernacle or a tent of worship there. Keep in mind here, the Levites had their traditional tabernacle set up in, in, a, in a different area in Gibeon. This is the tent that had originally housed the ark before it was lost. And this is the tent that they carried around through throughout uh, their time in the wilderness. And, and it's the tent where sort of this, the sacrifices were still happening there in David's day. And David did this remarkable like breaking from tradition thing. And when he got the ark back in his possession, he took it to Jerusalem because he saw that as a city where all of Israel could come together and worship, where the tribal loyalties and the division would fall apart and people would come to this one capital city for the whole nation to worship together. And David says, if I could have one thing, I would, I would give up my life in the palace and I would dwell in this tent, in the house of the Lord. I dwell there all the days of my life. I'd be gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, and I would seek him in his temple. We talk about gaze, and we talk about seeking, and again, we're talking about visual exercises here, things that are only possible with the illumination of light. I think David was super unique in his desire to see God, in his longing to be in God's presence, you know, more than the comfort of his palace, more than the loves of his life. He writes here of, of how his heart just longs to be in God's presence. And I think it's highlighting for us this relational mystery that existed between God and this man who lived thousands of years ago, this man who was enabled to see something that went beyond what many of us will often perceive with our own natural eyes. This man whose heart was illuminated by the light of God in a way that many of us never experience. The average person might be holding in their own hearts concern for the future, desire for different comforts or, or fulfillment of certain appetites. David was unique in that he found satisfaction to all of these things in the presence of God. Where others might be concerned about troubles coming in the future, David writes in verse 5, he says, In the day of trouble, God will keep me safe in his dwelling. 
He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, and he will set me high upon a rock. So then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent, and I will rejoice with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord, and be merciful to me and answer me. It says, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. This is a specific verse that I've had in mind as kind of a theme verse for, our, for renewal in 2022. That our hearts would be saying to us, seek his face. And we would respond with it saying, Lord, I'm going to seek your face. What is your heart crying out for this year? What is it that you're longing for? These are the kinds of things where, you know, we talk about what God does and we talk about our responsibilities. And I really think it's only the Spirit of God that can stir up that kind of hunger inside of us. I don't think this is something that, like, we we muster up through uh, discipline or, or trying, right? Like, this hunger is something that it's a gift from God. It was a special grace that he poured out on David all those years ago where this man would long for the presence of God. Only when I've experienced God's presence and when he's poured that into me in a way can I begin to develop appetites for that kind of thing. So as you're thinking about your your life this year and your prayer life, I would encourage you to start with this prayer. Lord, stir up a hunger in my heart for you. David says, do not hide your face from me. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. It's as though my mother and father would forsake me. The Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord, and lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. And do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. But I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David's hope is to see God's goodness in this life, the land of the living, not just the realm of the dead someday. I think one of the problems with Christian evangelism over the last hundred years or so in our society is that we have become so fixated on heaven, so mindful of that day when God, you know, restores all things, that we've forgotten that we still have to live here on earth. Each of us has to, gets to live here on earth for however long the Lord allows us to. And our faith isn't just a faith for what heaven might be someday when God restores all things, but our faith is about what God is doing here today in your life, in your relationships, on this planet here today. David's confidence, his hope, is that he would see God's goodness in the land of the living. And the hope that we share with David is, yes, it's eternal on one level, right? But we also know that eternity starts now. Scripture tells us today is the day of salvation. And we believe that reconciliation and the restoration of all things, if you think of that process as starting, then let's say it started in the moment that Jesus rose from the grave. We could go back further and say it started the moment after the fall. But it's something that started a long time ago, and it's a process that is continuing today. 
was thinking about 2022 and what do I want to be confident for? What do I want to believe God for and hold on to despite the, the foes that are all around me, despite the oppression that I might see? What is it that I am confident for? And I thought, man, this is it, right? I will see the Lord's goodness here in the land of the living this year. I'm confident of that. Confident enough I'd put money down on it. We get to the end of 2022 and I would put money down that you will see the Lord's goodness, that I will see the Lord's goodness, that the light of God will illuminate our world, our life, and our eyes will be enabled to see His goodness. David finishes the song with these words, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Reminded of another psalm that says, those who wait on the Lord will never be put to shame. We believe that God is a God who desires to pour out his eternal goodness into this world. And that's what's transforming it. That's what's resurrecting things that have died. That's what's making well things that are sick. That's what's bringing light to things that are dark. And we believe that that goodness will be manifest in our lives. Maybe today. Maybe this week. Maybe next week. God is a God who is committed, fully committed, to bringing His goodness into this world. To transforming all that was broken. To undoing all that was done in the fall of humanity. And so I I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you see when you look up and you uh, survey the landscape around you. But I really do believe that your defender knows, that your champion knows. And I believe that he is strong. He is coming. His, his strong right arm is mighty to save. And in the light of his presence, these threats seem small. When we see God for who he really is, There's no cave too dark. There's no chasm too large. There's no threat so dangerous. Because this God that we are walking with is incredibly, incredibly powerful. He's incredibly, incredibly beautiful. And he's incredibly, incredibly faithful to his people. So I pray that his light would shine and that our eyes would be drawn to those things that he's illuminating in our world. This year, let's pray and then we'll take some time to discuss. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we just confess your power and your glory. Though we may have never seen it with the eyes that you have given us, we do believe that that reality is, is true and is real. And we do believe that, that the reality of your power and your glory brings light to our lives. Holy Spirit, whatever needs to happen inside of our hearts to where we could hold confidently to these truths. Despite what we see with our eyes, would you give us grace to see more? Would you open the the eyes of our spirit? Would you open the eyes of our hearts to see more? May this be a year where we would see your goodness here in the land of the living. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to take a few minutes to discuss
uh, these questions with each other. If, if you're sitting at a table with small numbers and, and you would like to um, talk to some more people, I just want to encourage you to join another table. I promise you they will be friendly at that table because I just said it. So they have to be. They'll be friendly. Jump in and, and maybe make some new connections today and spend a few minutes. Uh, scan the QR codes on your table with a phone and the questions will be right there. You can bring them right up. We'll take a few minutes and we'll come back to finish the service at the Lord's table with some more worship.